Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Friday as we end yet another week in the dystopian hellscape that is Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. So please drop me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. Um, coming up next week, we've got a lot to cover. I want to deal with the economy and where we are, where we're going, because there are some storm clouds on the horizon here that's going to have, I think, significant economic fallout as well as political fallout. So we're going to deal with that next week and what it means for your wallet, your pocketbook, your family going forward here. It's not the greatest of news, but uh, we've got to bring it to you. You come to the show because I never whitewash anything. I tell you exactly what is going on. I tell you the truth. I bring you the facts. So next week, we're going to deal with the economy. We also have a lot coming at us politically next week. We've got a number of people who are going to announce for president on the Republican side next week. I want to get to that here in a second, but we are going to take all of that apart on this program, the program you can trust to tell it to you straight. Okay. Um, also, it, that is going to include a conversation about Michelle Obama on the Democratic side. 
This is something you need to be aware of, and we're going to bring you some insights into what might be going on on the left. Joe Biden doesn't know what planet he's on. He's not going to be the nominee. Okay, so we've got to plan ahead and be ready for the worst case scenario. So we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff coming up here next week. Speaking of presidential politics, later today on this show, in fact, in just a couple of minutes, we are going to be joined by a Republican candidate for president. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to join us here. And, you know, I thought about what I wanted to talk about with Vivek, and I mentioned to you guys that I had done an hour-long conversation with him for his podcast show. We have posted it in my podcast feed, so if you haven't already gone and listened to it, go and do that now. Um, It was a very extensive, smart, wide-ranging conversation about America's relationship to China as it's evolved over time, really since the end of World War II, through the Cold War, through Richard Nixon, who opened the door in 1972, through uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It's a really important geostrategic conversation, fascinating, if you want to know what's going on today with the CCP and why China is our premier enemy, far more sophisticated, far more complex than the Soviet threat ever was, you go listen to that podcast with Vivek. It was amazing. But today, he's going to be on my show, and I thought about what I wanted to talk to him about. We'll probably have him back because I want to get into some real policy positions he's got on the economy, on education to counter the indoctrination of our kids, um, on corporate governance, ESG, DEI, all of this alphabet soup nonsense. I will bring him back on that. But the key thing I wanted to talk to him about today is the spiritual void in this country. Because Vivek has been talking about it, and nobody else really is, not not certainly at that level in terms of candidates. So we're going to break that apart with Vivek because honestly, guys, that is the root of all of these issues. Why do you think we're in a Marxist revolution and have been really since the 1930s? It's because America has a gaping hole where God should be. So all of this other stuff that we talk about, the Marxist revolution, uh, CRT, cultural Marxism, economic Marxism, drag shows for kids, all of this stuff that we talk about, really is the top-line issues, all very important, but those are the top-line issues. Those are the symptoms of the problem. What is the root of the disease? It's spiritual. There's a spiritual vacuum. So we're going to talk to Vivek about that and other things coming up here in just a couple of minutes, okay? You're not going to want to miss this conversation It's going to be fascinating, unlike anything that you will hear elsewhere in political media. Okay, I promise you that. First, though, the Monica Memo. The weaponization of our own government against you and me. Not against the left, not against the globalists, not against Democrats, not against the press, you and me. That is the most serious threat that we face. 
Again, it is a symptom of a much deeper spiritual void in this country. But it is here and now, it is the most immediate and urgent threat we face. And yeah, we've got a ton of threats coming at us, man. The CCP, Iran marching toward a nuclear weapon. We've got a whole range of problems and, and challenges and threats. But the threat that is from within, by government agents and agencies that are supposed to be protecting us from all threats, foreign and domestic, the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, the DOJ, again, the alphabet soup of agencies in the executive branch that have as their objective to protect the American people and America's interests, they are running wild against us. This is the very definition of tyranny. Tyranny is when a regime, a government, a system turns its firepower, turns its guns, turns its rhetoric, turns its power against its own people. It wasn't that long ago that we witnessed Tiananmen Square, where the Chinese people, I believe it was 1990, I'm sorry, 1989, Chinese people rose up against their totalitarian dictatorship. And remember that one image of the one lone Chinese man standing up against that tank? Actually, there are a battery of tanks behind that one, but the picture caught him just standing up to, to uh, that tank. Well, that image is one man who wants freedom, or at least greater freedom, standing up against the full weight of the power of his oppressive regime. George Orwell wrote about this in 1984. Go back and read this novel I've been telling you guys. Summer reading is coming up, okay? And instead of Netflixing and chilling, which is fine, um, but take, you know, a couple of nights, and that's all it will take to read 1984. And you should be reading Brave New World and uh, Animal Farm as well. Refresh your memory on what Orwell was talking about. But in 1984... In that book, in that novel, there, it, it centers around one male character who just sort of rejects the whole conformity under the jackboot of the totalitarian system. It doesn't end well for him because the system crushes him in the end. And that is exactly what is going on here. That Chinese man who stood up to the tank was, uh, they didn't roll over him, but his life was crushed. And in Orwell's 1984, the one central character who basically rejects it and rebels against it is crushed. What do you think is going on here? Oh, Monica, we're a, still a constitutional republic. We've got a constitution that's durable. We still have people fighting for us. Guys, we do have some people fighting for us, and I want to get to Congressman Jordan and Congresswoman Kamek here in a second. We do have some, and thank God for them. But if you still think that we are in a constitutional republic, I've got news for you. We are not. We are post-constitutional. I think that was Mark Levin's phrase, a post-constitutional country. I, that is exactly correct. He was ahead of his time on that phrase. I wish I had thought of it. It's perfect. 
post-constitutional country. We no longer have these safeguards. We can no longer count on government institutions like the FBI to protect us. No, they are now in the business of protecting the system. Just like so-called journalists, journalists are supposed to be the fourth estate. Journalists are supposed to be there to uh, hold the powerful to account, to expose their misdeeds, to bring sunlight into the system, to drive out corruption by exposing it and reporting on it. Well, we're now also in a post-journalism phase and have been for quite a long time as well. So when you put all of these things together, we are in a tyranny. It might be a soft tyranny. There are no tanks in the streets yet. But we are are now in a soft tyranny. And if you talk to like some of these whistleblowers from the FBI who testified yesterday before Congress, they will tell you that the tyranny is not so soft because the tyranny showed up at their front door. Sometimes it's 6 o'clock in the morning or earlier, like they did to Roger Stone, like they did to Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. If they can do it to a former president, what do you think they're going to do to you? And in fact, they're already doing it. They're doing it to your neighbors. You got wrong think? You want to expose the depth of corruption at the FBI, etc.? You want to blow the whistle on their entire corrupt gravy train? They're going to crush you. So right now, honestly, I mean, you know, we've got some benefits in this country still. We've got at least a constitution and word, but it doesn't matter if those who are supposed to enforce the constitution throw it out the window and violate it every day of the week. But, you know, it still exists. It's still there. But we are fast down the track of, you know, just a hard tyranny at some point. The only thing that's really standing between us and that is the Second Amendment. It's your guns. It's the fact that the population in America have weapons to fight back. That's it. Otherwise, the left in this country, this system, this regime, would have rolled over you five minutes ago, five years ago, 15 years ago. That's what they want. That's why they continue to assault both the First Amendment, because they want you to shut up and not expose their misdeeds, and secondly, why they're coming after your guns constantly. They want you stripped of the ability to fight back. That's what this is about. And that's why, you know, tyrannies throughout history, whether it's China, Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, they strip their people of their ability to protect themselves, defend their families, and fight back against a tyrannical government. And that's what the founders had in mind when they put the Second Amendment in there. They realized the First Amendment, freedom of speech and assembly and religion, Those were the critical ones without which you have no free society. So they made that the first. But interesting that they made your right to bear arms the second. It's number two for a reason. That is our thin line between us and the communist tyranny that they are seeking to inflict on us and have been for a long time. 
Okay, so we're already in it. And the only reason we are not living in a CCP kind of dystopian nightmare, or at least a full one, is because of our guns. Never, ever give them up. Ever. If you take one thing away from this podcast, it's that. Yesterday on Capitol Hill, we had a number of former FBI special agents and others testify to the fact that when they blew the whistle on the FBI, and whistleblower protections are very serious. I mean, you come forward with real evidence and an allegation of misconduct on the part of the federal government, you are protected. There cannot be any retaliation against you. That is federal law. And yet these folks, these average Americans who just wanted to serve their country and you and me in an honorable way, saw the dishonesty, saw the bias, saw the crimes being committed, saw the unethical behavior and blew a whistle. And they were supposed to enjoy a whole plethora of protections according to federal law. Well, these folks came forward at great cost to themselves and their families. They blew the whistle and guess what? The system violated federal law because they don't care about the law. The law is just a suggestion not to be followed, blown off, in fact, and retaliated against these people. There were heartbreaking cases. One guy was talking about how he had a two-week-old newborn, and the FBI transferred him across the country, and as soon as they got there with their newborn, they suspended him and locked up all of his uh, uh, possessions because he was moving across the country for the job that they were directing him to, it was all harassment, right? They said, well, we're, we're transferring you across the country. So he picks up his family, including his new baby, moves all the way across the country, and the FBI locked up his stuff in storage. He said, we didn't even have a winter coat for our newborn. And they had to rely on family and friends and their church to provide them with clothes. You don't think that we're in a tyranny? These cases prove it. Thank God that we have people like Chairman Jordan. I want you to listen to him from yesterday. He's talking about warning. He's warning the whistleblowers in front of him that as much as they've been through already, it's going to get worse. Listen. We've talked to over two dozen whistleblowers. People have come to us. We've interviewed several of those, and today three of them. Three of those brave whistleblowers and a lawyer who represents them will tell us their story. They will tell us what happened, what they saw, and then what happened to them because they were courageous enough to report it to Congress. And I just want to tell you guys, get ready. Get ready because these guys are going to come after you. You know they are. Last hearing we had, last hearing we had, we had two journalists, Democrats, two Democrat journalists set right where you guys did. And these guys tried to get them to divulge their sources. Someone needs to tell them how the First Amendment works. And oh, while Mr. Taibbi, one of those award-winning journalists sitting right where you're sitting, was testifying, guess what else was happening? The IRS was knocking on his door. So get ready. Yep, the Democrats are going to come after you. In fact, they already did. They made a hash of all of their lives, put them through a living hell simply for the quote-unquote crime of telling the truth about them. This is what we're up against, guys. 
Okay. Here's Congresswoman Kat Kamek, uh, my friend who was just on the show a couple of weeks ago. She was in this weaponization hearing. And here's what she had to say. You know, I know a lot of people back home are wondering, you know, we hear about this weaponization. You guys get up here, you investigate, but nothing ever seems to happen. Think about this for a minute, though. Why this is so critical that we are investigating the weaponization of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice. As was pointed out, if you are a parent and you attend a school board meeting, there could be an FBI agent in the parking lot scribbling down your license plate number. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is actually testimony that these brave whistleblowers have given us. That is not America that I know. That is not the America I know. That's correct. She is right. And it's been this way now for a while. And it's because the communists, the system, the deep state, they're all working together to undermine and destroy the country. And the one thing that stands between that is you and your guns. Actually, that's two things that stand between them and their ultimate view of affecting a total tyranny in this country. It's you with your guns. That's it. Every institution has been shot through with corruption in this country. And the culture and education and everything. So it's you and your guns that stand between them and their ultimate dream. This is why they hate your guns and they hate you even more. This is why all of this comes out now and again of average Americans being targeted. You know, it's one thing to go after Donald Trump. We kind of get that, right? But understand that Donald Trump is the biggest symbol of us. He is the biggest obstacle because he represents us. We're actually the biggest obstacle, but they've symbolized it in one man, in Donald Trump. And that's why they've pulled out the stops over the last eight years to try to stop him. And they will continue to do that. But this is about so much more than Donald Trump. This is so much deeper. Trump like bumbled into it, right? Like he's like, back in 2015, he's like, oh, do, 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 I'm going to come and restore America back to freedom. Let's go, deplorables. We're going to do it together. Quaint and charming in its own way, right? Given what we're up against here. It's sweet. <laughs> it's sweet. Um, he's one tough cookie. And, and I, I mean, I thank God every day that he has decided to take on this whole challenge. But they're really coming after us and our Constitution and everything this country stands for. And that is why, as we speak with Vivek here in a minute, and as we deal next week with the other Republican candidates coming forward for the presidential nomination, the one critical question that they all need to answer is where do you stand on the weaponization of our own government against us? Where do you stand? That's it. I want to hear from all of them on that because if any of them are soft, they're establishment types. Okay. Chris Christie, Tim Scott. I mean, whatever, whatever their talents and abilities are. If you're going to be soft on this question or you don't even see the threat, you're out of here. Boom. We're going to bounce you so fast. Your head will spin. All right. 
Let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to one of those Republican candidates for president. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to join us. We're going to talk to him about the bigger picture, the core root of all of these problems, which is so much bigger and more profound than any one of these single issues. All right. So this is going to be a really important conversation. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. For over 10 years, Grammarly has been powered by AI technology that you trust and rely on by helping you across all the places where you write the most. With one click, you can easily brainstorm, rewrite, and reply quickly with suggestions based on your context and goals. Accelerate productivity for you and your teams. More than 30 million people rely on Grammarly to help them with their writing today. Applying to new jobs? With Grammarly by your side, you can apply to your dream job with confidence by tailoring your cover letter and revising your resume in seconds. A big presentation coming up? Let Grammarly create a personalized outline to get you organized so you can transform your ideas into a compelling presentation. For your next vacation, it can help you create a whole itinerary. Grammarly is here to assist you at every step of your writing so you can show up with confidence. You'll be amazed at what you can do. Go to Grammarly.com slash go to download for free. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash go. Well, I'm absolutely delighted. It's such a special treat for me to talk to uh, our next guest at any point in time, but certainly today here on our podcast. Vivek Ramaswamy is a highly successful American entrepreneur. You've seen him everywhere. And uh, he has been hugely successful in the biopharmaceutical space, in the tech space, in the finance space. And now he has chosen to run for president. He is seeking the 2024 Republican Party uh, nomination. He is in a very interesting field, but he was one of the very first to come out and announce for president. You can find his campaign website 
at Vivek, V-I-V-E-K, 2024.com, Vivek2024.com. And it's my great honor and pleasure to welcome him to the show. Vivek, welcome. It's good to be on, Monica. How are you? It is so good to have you here. I am great and even better now that I'm talking to you. And the audience knows that you and I did a a real deep dive. We did an hour-long conversation on your podcast about China. And I've put it now in my podcast feed as a special treat for my listeners. And so many people have come back to me and said, that was a wide-ranging and really important conversation that the two of you had. So I I thank you for that. And I'm glad you were here on my show so we can continue. I'm excited to do it. (laughs) So, uh, you know, let's let's roll up our sleeves and and, uh, I won't be... I won't be very filtered, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never are, which is why so many people love and appreciate you. Um, all right, so let's get into it. First of all, 99.999% of all Americans would rather have hot pins put in their eyes than run for president of the United States. Who needs it? It is it is just such a nightmare scenario for so many people. But here you are, and you're running for the Republican nomination. Why are you doing this? Well, I think that it's if it was looking at the next step of my career, I certainly would not be doing this. I've got two kids at home. One's three years old, and one is 10 months old. And the toughest part about this is, is spending time away from them. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in doing something worthy in, in the world and, and advancing a country that we care to bequeath to our children and their generation. But the reason I'm doing this, Monica, is that I just do feel that we're in the middle of a national identity crisis where especially people my age and younger, and you and I talked about this before, I'm the first millennial ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican. You know, if you ask most people my age, what does it mean to be an American today? You get a blank stare in response. That's a problem. And I think that that's the vacuum at the heart of our national soul. And I care about reviving that sense of national identity that we long for, but which we miss. That civic pride that the next generation lacks and hungers for a cause, but instead turns to wokeism and transgenderism and climate ideology instead to fill their vacuum. I feel some responsibility as somebody who has lived the full arc of the American dream, who has been given so much by this country to make sure that somebody who's born 20, 30 years after me still has the opportunity to live that same dream. And right now I'm worried, Monica, that if I had been born 20 years later, I don't think my dream would have been possible. I would have been taught to think of myself as a victim rather than as somebody who actually overcomes hardship is instead defined by it. And I think that that's a dangerous path for our country to be on. I think I have both the gratitude to this country and a vision that comes from it that allows me to reach the next generation of Americans. I think we can take the America First agenda even further than Trump did if we're doing it based on principled footing, based on moral foundations, based on a vision of where we're going. What are we running to, not what are we running from? And I didn't see that in either major political party. And I felt called to fill that vacuum. And so that's why I decided in December, my wife and I made the decision together that this was the way we were going to have our impact and give back to a country that's given us so much. 
and I hope we succeed. You know, I said this to you on your podcast as well, which is that um, I am supporting President Trump, but I am so deeply grateful for what you are doing because you are making a tremendous contribution to not only this race, but to our national conversation about where we are as a country and where we are going. And the two strains that you have really identified and you speak about nonstop in a really eloquent way, Vivek, is, and and they're both interrelated. One is the uh, sort of uh, political slash cultural slide in which we find ourselves, which is ideological too in many ways, which is basically that we're in a Marxist revolution and the communists have seized control over all of our institutions, our culture, every direction they are in control and they are deliberately destroying the country. And then the other pillar, which you touch on, and again, it's related to the first one, because we know that communists uh, ban God, because the state is everything. The state is your family, your community, uh, your job, and it's also what you're supposed to worship. But the other strain, again, that's related is the spiritual angle. And what you are talking about, millennial generations and younger, um, see this void, and the the left has stepped into the spiritual void and filled it with wokeness, uh, political correctness, wh- whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's at base, it is communism, where you are you've erased God and you've replaced it with something secular. You have identified those two strains, and you are not afraid to talk about them. And I want to give you huge props for doing that, Vivek, because very, very few in our public sphere are willing to do that. I thank you, Monica, for saying it. I I just think it gets to the heart of what's going on. It's as though we're reading a mystery novel, right? If you're reading a mystery novel, you get a bunch of different clues of interesting things that are happening. And then they're all happening at the same time, but you wonder why, right? So, So in America, you see the rise on one hand of this secular cult of racial wokeism that says your identity is based on the color of your skin, the genetic attributes you inherit on the day you're born, that if you're black, you're disadvantaged, that if you're white, you're privileged, and so on. That's one cult that's arisen at the same time. On the other hand, we have this other cult of gender ideology that now says that even though the sex of the person you're attracted to is supposedly hardwired on the day you're born, your own biological sex is now completely fluid over the course of your life, right? These things obviously logically don't make sense together unless you're operating according to a cult-like belief system. And then you see the rise of a new cult that this one says that the carbon emissions that you emit in the United States, we must reduce that at all costs, even if China is literally picking up those same carbon emissions and then some on the other side of the world when the thing we were supposedly were addressing was global warming or opposed to nuclear energy, which is a carbon-free energy form of carbon-free energy production. And yet we're opposed to that too for inexplicable reasons that have little to do with the climate at all. The real question is, I mean, it could go on, COVIDism, globalism. What's actually going on? What the heck is going on such that the same time and the same moment in our history surfaces all of these new secular cults all at once? If we treat it not angrily, but just with curiosity, get to the heart, what really is going on here? Do you think it's that one of these dogmas is so persuasive on its merits or even on the arguments they make that billions of people around the world and around the West and, and hundreds of millions in this country flock to it at the same time and not just to one of these cults, but to five or six of them at the same time in American history? 
It's not. It's not a coincidence. These are clues. They're symptoms of a deeper void, a void of purpose, meaning, identity. And why do we have this void? We have this void because the things that used to fill that void, faith, patriotism, hard work, family, these things have disappeared steadily over the course of the last half a century, if not longer. These things have steadily disappeared and eroded in American life. And then we sustained ourselves in the absence of that purpose for a while by latching on to civil rights instead, saying that, okay, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in you know the nation as a whole. I don't believe in my national history. I don't think the family is particularly important. I'm able to pursue my own individual conception of happiness in my own way. I don't believe in necessarily working hard. That's an old-fashioned value, but I still believe in civil rights, that these civil rights that we all are supposed to enjoy, we don't have them. And so this started kind of in the 60s. But then what happens now is we've reached the promised land of the civil rights revolution, right? Racial equality before the law in every sense of that word. You can marry who you want, if you want, when you want, how you want. We've achieved what the civil rights movement would have called its promised land, but then you have nothing left to latch onto in terms of your identity. So you start making up struggles for new civil rights instead to satisfy that hunger for purpose and meaning. And, and so that's really what's going on, Monica. And I, and I don't, you know, because I suppose it's because I'm running on the Republican primary and I'm a conservative, but I hold my tribe more accountable than the other side. I mean, the other side's going to do whatever it's going to do. Our failure has been that we don't fill that void of purpose and meaning. We criticize the poison that fills the void. But as I said in the beginning, what are we running to? We know what we're running from, but what are we running to? Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's, I know you worked for Reagan. I think that you don't have to reinvent these wheels, but I, a lot of what I say, it, it's not copying him. It's reviving him, I think, and bringing the spirit of Reagan into our era. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a form of copying, and that's okay. I'm proud of it then. But revive the idea and the vision of the individual, the family, the nation, God. Affirmative truths, things that are true, fixed, things that matter, things that define who I am, who we are as a people. I think that's what we should be running to. But instead, I see I see a movement that defines itself in opposition to the poison. And and so why am I being self-critical of our movement? Well, I don't think we're going to scold the other side into, into <laughs> correction. I think we got to look in the mirror ourselves and ask, where's our failure, failure of leadership? And in whatever small way I can, and, you know, I, I was open to that being through writing books or starting businesses. But I think that when we ask about really how are we going to drive that national revival, I, I think it's best choice I could find for having the maximal impact was doing what Reagan did in 1980, deliver a landslide election, a revival of national identity in the middle of a national identity crisis. And I think we can unite the country in the process while going further with our own agenda without being compromising about it at all. And I think it is possible to have it all in that sense in this moment we live in if we open our eyes and seize the opportunity. 
You mentioned President Reagan. I just want to give you a quick correction, Vivek. I actually worked, I did uh, meet President Reagan on a number of occasions, but I actually worked uh, for former President Richard Nixon uh, during the last years of his life. No, no, not at all. And it was the last years of his life, not born when he was elected president. Um, But I was there with him in the mid-1990s before he passed away. And everything that you are talking about is something that President Nixon was writing about in his final years, in his books, in his articles, in his speeches, he was speaking to this spiritual void that those of us on the right had allowed to begin to develop, which of course the Marxists and the communists, the left in this country, exploited big time. All right, Vivek, please stand by. Much more with you straight ahead. Okay, we are back with Vivek Ramaswamy. You can find him at Vivek2024.com. What we're seeing now in the country, and again, you speak so eloquently about this, we are at now the tipping point where this long march through our institutions by the Marxists, by the left, which really began in the 1930s, they had their eye on the prize of destroying the United States, taking us down from within. And they attacked all of the pillars of American society and life from the news media to academia to the culture. Now they control our government institutions, all branches of government. The corruption runs so deep. But we allowed it to happen because we had our eyes on other things. We were focused on raising our families and going to school and building our communities and building small businesses and doing a million other things rather than focusing on the war for this country that the left was waging. But they exploited, they created and exploited that spiritual vacuum that you have been talking about that's been filled by the left by all of these things. And when you say our side is not offering a positive, compelling alternative to that, you are exactly right. Because our side has been focused on, you know, concrete things like tax cuts, which I'm all for, okay? You got to grow the economy. But you can't appeal spiritually to people on the basis of tax cuts or reining in the, the national debt and government spending. Again, all really important Uh, uh, issues and policies we need to be addressing and talking about, but that doesn't address the spiritual hunger in this country that the left has so efficiently and effectively filled. And that is something that I think you're speaking to and what I love about your entire message. And and you know what? The policy agenda, it's, it's not like these things are disconnected. I think that it's easier to grow an economy When we have self-confidence in ourselves, it is easier to stand up with a spine to Xi Jinping when we know who we are back at home, when we know what actually makes us us, what we are fighting for. You can make a sacrifice if you know what you're sacrificing for. But if you don't know what you're sacrificing for, then you're just left going through the motions. And so I think that that's actually what's going on in the country is that our economic challenges and our foreign policy challenges become that much easier to scale and to address if we're just doing it from the standpoint of actually grounding in our sense of self as a nation. And that sense of self starts as individuals. Who are we? Starts with the question of being able to answer, who am I? You can't answer the question of who am I if you've lost all reference points, your nation, your family, 
your community, your belief in God, your pride in the things that you create in the world through your own hard work and industriousness. I think these are things that give us our sense of national self-confidence and just personal self-confidence back. But once we regain that, it's not in substitute of talking about policy. I think you know this, Monica. I like to go deep on domestic policy, economic policy, foreign policy. But, but I think that there's a couple things that are true. One is that electorally, you're alluding to this. I think we're not going to succeed in capturing the hearts and minds of a generation that we're going to need in order to succeed electorally, but also, more importantly, who we care to serve. But the other thing is, I think that our policy challenges, we, are, we, can, we can engineer them, but we're not going to actually reach their, their stated goals without reviving that sense of fortitude and self-confidence because we won't be able to actually go the distance and do the actual thing. You know, I, I think you can talk about reducing the disincentives not to work, right? That's one of the obstacles to GDP growth in America. One of the great obstacles to GDP growth in America today is that businesses can't hire people to show up for work. Most people are staying home or too many more people are staying home than ever, sitting it out voluntarily. It's an unusual form of unemployment that we have in the country. Now, it's not because there aren't job openings, but in spite of the fact there are job openings, we still have a widespread epidemic of voluntary unemployment. But a big part of this is the anti-work culture that starts from a personal form of listlessness, lethargic a lethargic soul that doesn't that views sort of in every day as just part of the aimless passage of time rather than having some sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's no accident that we've seen the mental health epidemic rage on steroids after the COVID policies stop people from going to work. I mean, I think that the work from home culture, which is to say non-work from home in most cases, it's a it's a nominally work from home, but a non-work culture contributes to less human interaction, less purpose and meaning one finds in the work that one does oneself. And I think that the rates of depression and anxiety alone have doubled in the last three years. That's a staggering number. I think it's 20% of Americans are now clinically diagnosed or diagnosable with depression or anxiety. And I think it's two in five in the case of young Americans, maybe 40% or so in kids. These are staggering numbers. But I think that these questions aren't disconnected from our political or cultural malaise. We, we hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves, yet we cannot even answer what it means to be an American. And so, you know, I, I'm going to go back to Reagan in his parting speech. I actually recently rewatched it in January of 1989. One of the things that struck me when he was so he's leaving office, he's addressing the nation one last time. And the thing he says he's most proud of. He didn't go through any of his policy accomplishments. He didn't go through the progress he made in the Cold War. He didn't go through the economic revival. So the one thing that that will stick with me that I'm probably most proud of is the revival of, I guess you could say, a sort of, this is his words, a sort of national character, actually, that I don't believe we had at the time that I assumed this office. And I hope that the fruits that we yield will live up to that national character. But the sense of confidence that we have about our country is alone a contribution that I'm proud to have helped make. And I think he was he was very honest there. He was just dead on right about that. And I think that it's underrated as an attribute for what a president can actually deliver. I think if, if the next president of the United States 
in 20, 2024 election, taking office in January 2025, that's what I'm running to do, can deliver that sense of national self-confidence, that pride, that sense that we actually can create the country that we want to live in, that our best days actually are truly, not in some cheesy politician way, but just truly ahead of us, that we're not some nation in decline, but that we just might be in the even the early stages of our ascent, not even close to the mountaintop, we might just be approaching base camp, that it can be so because we revive the principles that this nation was founded on, that we're willing to remember them, sacrifice for them, fight for them. Man, I think that makes our economic and foreign policy challenges that much easier to address. I, I, I think they, in some ways, become a piece of cake. And so makes the job of the next president that much easier if the first thing we do is revive our sense of purpose and meaning and self-confidence, especially amongst young Americans. Today, 16% of whom even say, less than 16% of whom say they're proud to be mm. American. Mm -hmm. and, and over half of whom say they would rather give up their right to vote rather than give up their social media accounts, which is a staggering statistic that came out in the last week. So anyway, that, that's kind of in an unstructured way, Monica, how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, and you're exactly right because you're getting to the root of the problem, um, you know, rather than policy, et cetera. And as you say, it's all interrelated, but the fundamental problem we face is an existential crisis in our own identity and our own purpose as a nation. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. Well, that's no longer true because left for decades has been driving wedges all over the place and weaponizing entire demographic groups and racial groups in this country. It's a divide and conquer strategy, and they've been very successful. So what it's going to take to bring it back is real leadership who, like you, understands the nature of the problem and then can tackle it through policy and not just simply through rhetoric, but also through, right. through a real passion for bringing the country back and uniting us. A lot of people don't think that's possible anymore, Vivek, that we are so... Uh, that, that we can't even settle on a basic set of facts in this country, that we are so divided that we are basically in a soft kind of, um, not civil war, but like a great sorting where the red states are becoming redder and the blue states are becoming bluer because we're moving out to, to more friendly places and out of hostile places. And it's, it, this is a very dangerous moment because we really are at a tipping point. So we need leadership who gets the existential problem here as you do. Yeah, I, I understand the facts on the ground, uh, and I think they're not encouraging at face value. However, I think the way we get to national unity is not by showing up in some proverbial middle between those increasingly red and increasingly blue states and then say, hey, can't we all get along, guys? Kumbaya, hold hands. Let's compromise. No. I think the way we get to national unity is by being uncompromising about the principles that set the nation, the whole ball game, into motion 250 years ago. And I think those principles still exist. I mean, let, let's say we just talk about some of them. Meritocracy, that you get ahead, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and your contributions the unapologetic pursuit of excellence, the rule of law, free speech, open debate as our mechanism for settling questions rather than using force to do it. The idea that we live in a self-governing constitutional republic rather than a monarchy, that the people we elect to run the government should be the ones who run the government, not unappointed bureaucrats. 
just just take that subset alone. I mean, those are 1776 ideals right there. I think you and I share them in common. I know that much. But I think that you and I probably also believe that most of our neighbors and our colleagues and our former classmates and our parents of our children who are in schools together, that most of them share these ideals in common too. But we don't say we're sure about it because we don't feel free to talk about it in the open. So I think that's part of where the culture of fear that we've created in this country, and it's not by a majority of Americans or even half of them, but largely by a managerial class reinforced by media and social media, create the illusion of division by creating a culture of fear that stops us from being able to talk in the open, creating this gap between what people are willing to say in public and what they're willing to say in private. As that gap grows, it's more easy to believe that we're more divided than we actually are. And so I think some of that division, I mean, it exists, but I don't think it's 50-50. I think it's something like 80-20 in our favor, in the pro-American movement favor. And even half the 20 are people younger than me who never learned what those ideals were in the first place, who I think would be along for the ride if we did teach and stop teaching those ideals. And, and so that actually, that's what gives me hope against the backdrop of what looks as unbridgeable as it does today. The way we get past the divide isn't by bridging it. That's sort of a compromise word. But by reviving the radicalism, you could even say it, the extremism of the American ideals themselves, those ideals I described, free speech, self-governance, rule of law, so on. Those are radical ideals for most of human history. It was done the other way, but that is what makes us us. And, and we have just celebrated our diversity and our differences so much that we forgot all the ways we're really the same as Americans bound by those ideals. And so though I think the facts on the ground as it exists today are not encouraging, I think there is room for leadership in this country that revives the shared ideals that make us American, that requires speaking certain hard truths in the open, things that you're supposedly not supposed to say. But, you know, there's this concept called the Overton window or whatever things you're, mm -hmm. you're allowed to say in public discourse. This whole campaign, my entire campaign is about taking a truck and running it through that Overton window, grounded in fact, detail, hard logic in ways that go beyond reproach, at least from a logical point of view, you know, that there are two genders, that transgenderism is a mental health condition, that affirmative action has been disastrous for black Americans. If we look at the hard facts, that the climate cult rests on false premises, that you know, the policies that were supposedly designed to help those who live in poor areas of cities have caused them to become more poor as a consequence. The hard truths grounded in fact, I think the more we'll discover that more of us agree on the basic rules of the road. We might disagree on corporate tax rates, but more of us agree on the basic principles than you would believe from looking at the media or social media on a given day. All we need to do is to actually start talking openly again to rediscover that. And once we do, good things are going to happen. And the best way to do it is to just start doing it, which is you, what I've been trying to do in this campaign. And you've done it so well, and you continue to do it so well. We've got to hit a quick break, Vivek, but we will be right back with much more. And you know what, guys? As we talk about all these battles, we still want to look good, right? We don't want to be fighting this war looking like crap. And a key part of that is great skin care. What is the secret to great skin care? It's GenuCell. GenuCell's most popular package has everything for all of your skincare needs, wrinkles, 
dark spots, skin redness, sagging jawline, dark circles, and even annoying bags and puffiness underneath your eyes. And with its immediate effects, see results in 12 hours or less guaranteed or your money back. So stop waiting. Try GenuCell's most popular package for 70% off at GenuCell.com. And for a limited time, their new probiotic extract moisturizer is included for visibly clear and younger looking skin, absolutely free. So go to GenuCell.com slash Monica. That's GenuCell.com slash Monica. And for a limited time, any subscription order also includes a free beauty box and free concierge shipping. GenuCell.com, that's G-E-N-U-C-E-L, GenuCell.com slash Monica. We're coming right back. And we're back now with our final moments with Vivek Ramaswamy, Republican candidate for president, his campaign website, Vivek2024.com. It's amazing as I watch you out there, Vivek, that you are, you're fearless in stating the obvious. And, and I mean that as a high compliment, because in this day and age, stating the obvious could get you canceled. Like you're saying, well, there are two genders, male and female, and that's it. <laughs> um, that is stating the obvious, but we have become so, reality has become so inverted that stating an obvious fact like that can get you sidelined and canceled and destroyed in many cases. So the fact that you were fearlessly out there saying the truth is a major, major contribution. We just need people like you and Elon Musk and others just out there smashing through this whole fake destructive artifice that the left has put up that you can't state the facts and you can't state the obvious. That's pure nonsense. And if when you push back, bullies, like all bullies, crumple. They back off because they know you're stating the truth. And you might get a social media flash mob here and there attacking you for those very factual positions, but then they back off as well. And I have to say, you know, looking back at 2015 and 2016, this was one of the big reasons why Donald Trump caught fire, because he Mm -hmm. was willing to just say the truth and tell the American people, hey, here's what it is. And you can hit me Uh, all day long, right? Without apology. And now you are doing the same thing in a lot of other areas as well, like corporate governance and education and so on. And don't you find it's liberating, Vivek, as you're out there? And how are voters responding to you? It is liberating. And, you know, I mean, I think that the thing that gets me going, it's not being done by us. It's being done through us. Right. I think that mm-hmm. that's a sort of maybe a religious worldview, but that that's liberating, too. And it gives you the freedom to speak truth. I think we're going to make that our campaign slogan, Monica, is is uh, truth, period. Just one word. That's going to be, you know, my updated version of make America great again is truth. There, there are certain things that are true and we've lost it. And I think people are hungry on the campaign trail for truth. People are responding really well to it in places like Iowa, New Hampshire. What I tell them is. Forget about the who. Let's talk about the what and the why. What do we stand for? Why do we stand for it? Let's talk about what is true. Let's speak it without apology. And, you know, I'm honest with you about this. I would rather lose this election and speak my mind freely at every step of the way rather than to play some political snakes and ladders through some electoral path to victory. I'm not even sure that that's possible anyway. So I I think that I'd like to think that this is the best political strategy too, but that's not... (laughs) 
either way, that's the way we're going to do it. And, and I'm hopeful that will be the successful strategy. But I can tell you on the ground, that seems like something people are really responding well to. Uh, most people still haven't heard of me, according to the polls and, and uh, surveys or whatever. But despite that, we're already, you know, I think doing, you know, in, in our corner of the world pretty well, tied for third in some of these national polls, despite very few people having heard of me. And so, you know, we take that as a positive sign. But as I said, I'm I'm less focused on mapping some path to victory in terms of what you're supposed to say to get there as opposed to just speaking truth, hard truths without apology and being prepared to deliver on the things that I say I'm going to deliver on. And, you know, we'll leave the rest in the hands of, of a higher power that guides us to get there and see what, see how far that gets us. But I'm optimistic if more of us do that, I think we're going to have a country left. Yes, exactly right. And you have real grassroots organic support that's developing around you uh, in support of you because you were doing what, and once again, we get back to President Nixon. Nixon used to say, look, it's not enough just to tear down the other guy or just to tear down the other side. Negative campaigning does work, and you do need to define your opponent, but you also have to offer voters a positive, compelling reason to vote for you. And you are out there doing that all day long. You know, we've I've got a long list of other subjects I want to get to uh, with you, uh, Vivek, so I hope that you will come back, because I want to talk to you about your economic plan, China, DEI, and ESG, and the whole range of issues that you were discussing every single day. So I hope you'll return. I appreciate it. Good talking to you as always. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue this. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You're yeah, just an incredible, brilliant voice out there and much needed. And we are grateful for your contribution. Thank you. Take care, Monica. Wow. What a show, right? I mean, we talk about policy, very important, but we also talk about the spiritual nature of this battle. And that's how I wanted to frame my initial conversation here with Vivek. We'll bring him back and talk about his economic plan, corporate governance, DEI, education, kids being indoctrinated. But today I really did want to keep our eye on the root problem of all of this, which is the spiritual vacuum that we have allowed the left to fill. Really important conversation with him. I'm so glad that you were here for it. Please tell all of your friends, family members, work colleagues to listen to this program. Of course, listen to our our chat here with Vivek, but to listen to the show all day long because we really get to the root of what is actually going on here. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Next week, big shows on the economy, Michelle Obama, We're going to cover a lot next week, I promise you. All right, so I appreciate you being here as always and for checking out our great sponsors. Have a fabulous weekend, and I will see you right back here on Monday. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.